to Demos Digital Dojo. This is Web Business and Martial Arts Collide. Now, I apologize for getting this episode out a day late. You might be able to hear in my voice that I have a stinking cold. Um, but that wasn't the reason. As it turns out, both my kids also came down with the same cold at the same time. So we were all kind of looking after each other and hugging each other yesterday. Very little got done. That was definitely a sick day uh, if there is such a thing in our industry. So, yeah. Uh, we've got uh, the wonderful Melody Johnson coming up, but before we get to that, just want to share a little bit about what's been going on recently. So I had the opportunity to go to an event called Mavix, Martial Arts Business Extreme, run by uh, Gordon Burcham, and it was a great event. Two days over the weekend, learnt an absolute load. So I'd be interested in hearing about any events that you've been to recently, especially now that we're out of uh, the lockdowns and these events are being done in person again. What's your experience has been? Um, the Mabex event was great. I learned loads. I've actually already implemented a whole bunch of things into my personal clubs from what I've learned there. And I think that's the important thing. When you go to these events, you do not have to do everything that you learn. Pick and choose people. Uh, some things are not going to be right for you. Some things are going to be right for you. In fact, I think Chris Jones and I talked about it or spoke about it uh, in his interview. It's like, don't judge what other people are doing. If it works for you, use it. And if it doesn't, just let them get on with their own thing. There is no right or wrong way, provided that what you do is with integrity and honesty. Um, and that's that's the issue, is that when we start going down the route of, ah, you know, I'm doing it because I'm chasing the monies. Um, it's not a problem making money. This is a business podcast. But you got to choose what's right for you. Just don't uh, corrupt your soul. We've gone a bit deep today, haven't we? probably the uh, the copious amounts of painkillers and cold and flu medicine that I'm on. Now, uh, that aside, we've got the wonderful Melody Johnson on with us today. And uh, to say that she was generous with her time is an understatement. So I reached out to Master Melody just on the off chance that she would say yes. And to my absolute surprise, she did. And she was absolutely wonderful about it because I got the impression that I might have been a little bit overexcited. And so... <laughs> I was messaging her, I was like, these are going to be the questions, and this is going to be the format. And she was like, yeah, cool, no worries. She was an absolute delight, which you're going to hear in a moment. So we talk all things development, none too surprisingly, being Melody Johnson. And uh, we also talk a little bit outside of that as well, uh, her experience in martial arts, how she got started when she was a child, and uh, everything from there on, really. So this is a really cool interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Because there's about four people on my wish list, like my, you know, my top, top wish list. And uh, this is one of them. So enjoy. Okay. And with me today, we've got uh, Master Melody Johnson. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, I'm doing that typical British thing. I can see that it is beautiful sunshine, <laughs> which is really nice. We've got a really dreary day. But how have things been over where you are in terms of COVID and in and out of lockdown? Because here we're actually staring down the barrel of a third or fourth potentially light lockdown with the winter season coming and the R numbers rising. Well, we just got out of our, um, I guess, the the COVID alert from the Delta variant. Uh, it peaked in August, and the Florida 
Hospital Association just announced on Friday that we're back down to the, um, the pre-Delta variant numbers, which is a less than a 3% infection rate. So my son who goes to a private school here, uh, they were in mandatory mask uh, policy up until yesterday. So yesterday oh. was the first day that my son actually went to school and this is, he's in first grade now. So we had kindergarten and first grade without a mask. Fabulous. So it was, a, it was a very exciting day for him yesterday and today to be able to see his friends' faces and his teacher's face and everything. So Nice. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It's, it's good that things seem to be going in the right direction over there, which is fab. Absolutely fabulous. Now, obviously, I've been um, following your career for a number of years now. We, we first met in 2016 um and it was a, a small seminar here in the uk it was an equally dreary day but for those people who may not know you um tell us a little bit about yourself a little bit about your history how you got into martial arts and how skills became a thing because it's it's wonderful and it's huge uh well i'll try to give you the the shortest version possible uh but um when i was when i was younger growing up in new orleans i it was in, in the 80s and uh it wasn't the most uh, positive environment in this growing up in the city even though i went to an all-girls catholic school i was bullied a lot and believe it or not i was very small for my age and that's why i was bullied is in fifth grade my nickname was the kindergartner <laughs> and so I would retaliate with shenanigans to try to win people over or just get back at them. And my parents forced me into martial arts to help me develop discipline. So it wasn't like I saw the karate kid and said, yes, I want to do martial arts. I actually disliked it a lot when I first started. And my big brother decided to join with me just so that I had somebody to train with. But this is going back in the 80s when we had the dungeon dojo days where kids and adults <laughs> trained together. I, I was always put in knuckle push-up position or dead cockroach position it was hardwood floors we didn't have the cool mats uh, and i'm not kidding you my instructor's name was mr slaughter and yeah. he was he was an ex-marine oh wow uh, and so he was very very strict so i did not like it and we ended up having another kid teenager in our class i was 11 when i started by the way and this teenager bullied my brother and i a lot during class he was kind of like the johnny of the pre the, the old johnny from the, the, johnny That's from the, the new johnny's kind he's, he's kind of cool these days uh and he bullied us a lot in class and the first day that we had to spar he wiped the floor with my brother and then i got up to spar him and i, I the story is so vivid in my head and then we're going back 30 something years ago but the first time the first time my instructor said go he kicked me in the stomach i fell to my knees i was about to cry but my mother who always sat on the benches with her arms folded, looking at me, telling me to sit straight and always fussing at me because I wasn't doing anything right in class. Um, I, I looked over at her, she, you could see it in her eyes. She's like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. So I got up and my instructor said go and I just threw this awesome kick, hit him in the head, spun his headgear. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. So I look over at my mom and my mom who's usually standing there mad at me for doing something, jumps up and goes, yeah, and cheers for me. And then my instructor goes, two points kick to the head. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Not only do I get to kick boys in the head here, but I get points and my mom's happy for me. This is the coolest sport ever. So I fell in love with the martial arts after that. And I did a lot of competitions and did very well, even with boys and girls. And the cool part was because I'm very petite. So now I'm 45, but I'm five foot nothing, 103 pounds. So you can imagine we would be uh, put in, in competitive groups based on age, not by size. 
So it was really neat. If I won, everybody's like, that little girl won. This is really cool. And if I lost, they're like, oh, the poor little girl lost. So I really built this cute identity uh, in my in my tournament career. And people really started to take notice on who I was. So then I, I stopped doing martial arts through high school because back then it wasn't cool. Uh, but I got my first job as, uh, as working at Disney World. And I can't say what I did, but let's just <laughs> say I was, re- was really good friends with Mickey Mouse. Hey. And, uh, and I worked in Magic Kingdom Entertainment. And it was really neat because I learned a lot about, about uh, working with children. And I didn't really like kids before that because I was always bullied by them. So this is where I fell in love with children. And then I happened to land a job as a, as a choreographer for the Mickey Mouse Club. And they were, heard that I was a black belt and wanted me to teach some, them some martial arts and their choreography. And, but I wasn't doing martial arts. So I jumped back into it. And then Mickey Mouse Club got canceled, which uh, was unfortunate in some ways, but also in another way, my instructor was like, well, you can get a job here teaching if you wanna help out in the kids class. So I said, sure, why not? And I taught a class and I tell you what, it was, it, it's a humble brag, but it was one of the greatest classes ever because I was able to integrate what I learned at Disney and entertainment with martial arts and all the kids loved it. And I knew I was on onto something. So that's really where I fell in love with children and teaching children. But through the years, uh, as we grew, as I grew my own martial arts schools, and I had four, we had a very successful million-dollar operation in the 90s. I was 25 years old, a just one world champion. We had lots of world champions as well in our organization. I was getting burnt out from all the roller coaster classes of trying to make the classes dynamic enough for the older kids, but then the younger kids couldn't keep up. So then we kind of water down the drills and so the little kids can keep up, but then the older kids were losing interest and the roller coaster classes just really started to frustrate me. So I started studying science and psychology and that's where I started realizing that we were getting it wrong back in the nineties when we were teaching children. We were trying to, trying to teach them traditional martial arts curriculum that was written for you know a young male adult in the military. And then the kids couldn't learn and couldn't keep up with it, except for people like me, but I was an anomaly in, in the martial arts, right? And, and that's the problem with our industry at, at the time is that we set our bar of expectations to the anomalies in class. And then the younger kids couldn't keep up. So they were dropping out right and left. And that's where I was getting that burnout. So that's when I started really realizing that maybe we should break it down. And instead of trying to teach martial arts to children and help them develop skills, can we do the opposite? Can we teach them skills that are appropriate for their age and then plug in martial arts and uh, incorporate the edutainment in it, the game-based learning, the play-based learning. And that's essentially how skills was founded. So I walked away from my four schools uh, shortly thereafter and moved to St. Petersburg and worked for a consulting company that was in the martial arts industry. And I wrote a children's program called Little Ninjas uh, back in, uh, in the uh, late 90s. And it became a global phenomenon. It was in 2000 schools within two years. And uh, that's where my career started taking off uh, in the combination of not only working with children in my own facility, my own studio, but also writing curriculum for other martial arts schooners and instructors. Wow, that's that's a heck of a story. I'm sure you've told that many, many times. Thank you so <laughs> many much for times. That's awesome. That was, that was the short, that was the edited version too. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, now, I know that we, and we're going to come on to the psychology of teaching children later on, but something that is very apparent, um, or at least it has been to me over the last few years, is you're, you're surrounding yourself with wonderful people. Uh, and, you know, I'm from a background, and many of us in the UK are from a background where we're trying to build teams and we're trying to 
um, delegate to an extent the work that we do so that we can replicate ourselves. Um, and obviously you've gone one step, probably 10 steps further than that. So compared to back in the day and to now, how is it that you have gone about building this team around you? Because I'm, I'm looking at the executive team and, and the people that are constantly popping up on Facebook and Instagram and all over the place. And they are absolutely wonderful, but they've all seemed to have their own specialties. So how is it that you've gone about finding people to help you grow and to help your organization flourish overall? And what, what are the biggest mistakes that you may have made in the past? Well, I think that's where it starts. I think it starts with with being a, a good leader. And listen, growing up in the martial arts industry, it's it's very hard for us not to have an ego, right? So, you know, we walk around with our black belts and everybody bows to us and calls us master. And we can give push-ups just because somebody picks their nose in class, right? <laughs> Maybe that's a little bit too too uh, tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, no, no, I, I think, uh, I think right, that's about right. right. I've been there. And then, yeah, and when I first opened my school here in St. Petersburg, I, I I hired a young male instructor to to work side by side with me. But I always had this fear of if he becomes better than me, then he's going to leave me and open up my own school. And that's I'm the only person who's ever thought that, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and the problem was is that my my consulting career also took off at the same time. And one specific story that really, it, this is where it really hit me is I went to Australia and did a tour of instructor seminars for two weeks. And I came back and I was asking the parents, you know, how were classes while I was gone? And they're like, well, you know, it was great. Andrew did good, but it's not the same when you're not here. And that's when it hit me that uh, I, you know, I was, I was not creating an opportunity for Andrew to flourish when I was gone. So I reassessed the way that I was leading him and the way that I created my curriculums and so forth. And instead of me trying to teach the better classes, we made sure that we were teaching consistently in each class. So that when I started traveling, what started happening was parents went, wow, Andrew teaches just like you. And then Clayton coming up through the ranks. Then it was, wow, Clayton teaches just like Andrew. And then Hunter teaches just like Clayton. And we noticed this generational effect of being consistent with just our systems and our operating procedures. And also me trying to do the opposite and saying, I'm better than you. So you always want to work for me is elevating Clayton up, elevating Andrew up, highlighting their skills, training them to be the best version of themselves possible so that I can step away and work on the business, not in the business. And I got that from the book. If you haven't read it, I'm sure you have, because uh, I, you look like you have a lot of books back there, unless those are DVDs. Well, I was going to say, those on my uh, on my right are DVDs on the left is books. But oh, yeah, you're right. All yes, the business it. books are upstairs. And I yes. keep asking you for uh, for recommendation. <laughs> yes. So so the book E-Myth by Michael Gerber, E-Myth Revisited, where he talks about working on your business, not in your business. And you want to make sure that your team can replace you so that you can continue to build opportunities for them. That's when it all started to click. And I was able to step away from my school when my, when my son was born and spend six months with him. And our school was still growing. And one of the reasons why is because I didn't have that fear mindset of Andrew's going to leave me and open up his own school. I had this mindset of, let me keep giving Giving him opportunities and building him up and uh and then i ended up selling the school to andrew so the same thing's happening now with skills worldwide so we found you know i've, I've found a couple of really good skills school owners who are constantly contributing or who were constantly contributing in our group just because they were raving fans and i reached out to them and that's my executive my chief operating officer mike evans and said i want to hire you because you're doing so much to contribute. I, I think that there's room for growth in our company by bringing you on board and handling a lot of these questions that 
I see that you answer them a lot better than me because you understand it from a school owner's perspective and not just a creator's perspective. And uh, and now it's to the point where Skills has grown to over a thousand schools and we're getting ready to split the, the company into three DBAs, Skills Connect, which is curriculum, Skills University, which is instructor training, which means you don't have to be part of the Skills School to get the instructor training, and then Skills Tech, which we're going to create a new tech platform for all of our content and so forth. And I knew that I wasn't at the, I, I don't know enough about technology to really be able to spearhead some of these projects. So I promoted Michael Evans, who used to work in technology to become the COO of my company to do all the things that I'm not good at. And it really led a pathway for his career uh, to the point right now where uh, he comes to me and says, here are the things we're doing. And I look at it and go, good job. Looks like, looks like you're on a roll as long as the numbers are great. Um, so yeah, you know, we are surrounded by a lot of good people and it comes back to the, you know, when, once you become a really good leader, instead of trying to uh, put yourself above them, you know, put yourself below them and try to lift them up as high as you can so that they can take the helm and shine and have a good career path. And then you can step back and think of the bigger picture on what's next. That's why I can do skills tech, skills you, and put the right people in the right seats without having to be on the bus driving and then trying to figure out everything simultaneously. That makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people either wittingly or unwittingly are still stuck in that trap and that cycle of I need to be the best at this. Um, and if you get stuck there, you're never going to be able to not necessarily leave the position you're in, but you're never going to be able to grow beyond the position that you're in because you haven't got people around you to help and to to drive the company or business forward. I absolutely love that. And yeah, I, I know I I keep an eye on what's going over on skills and, and the team is phenomenal and they're always very personable. Everybody I've ever spoken to has been wonderful. So yeah. Thank you. I, thank, you very much. thank you. You created an amazing team. <laughs> um, now we're going to go forward a little bit in terms of a little bit more about the psychology of children now. So the next thing that I'd like to ask is about motivation around children in relation to the pandemic that's just gone, uh, or rather the lockdowns that have just gone and everything we're still going through because a lot of places in the world, uh, UK being one of them, there are hotspots where things are still closing, still opening and everything is in disarray. Um, so the, the biggest thing that we tend to see at the moment is trying to keep young children and teens a motivated to come back into class because there's spikes in anxiety because they've been in isolation for so long um, but also parents are coming to us and asking how it is that we can help them motivate their children back um, now we, we've had varying success on this front lots of children as soon as the the restrictions were lifted they were straight back in but we're seeing masses of numbers um, who don't want to return for one reason or another. And it's usually because they have a lot of anxiety surrounding what's happening. Um, so how would you speak to uh, essentially the, the rise in anxiety in ways that we can kind of go around helping our youngsters a back into class and be um, managing their anxieties? Well, you know, it, there's, there's no one secret trick that's going to get everybody back in the class, right? What I think what it comes down to is you, the way that you cultivate your, your audience and your environment. And for, so I, I don't actually work in a school anymore. I work with hundreds of schools, but I'll use on the mat, which is my school that I sold to Andrew here in the area. One thing that they've done really well is created a safe space for 
relationships and comfort and confidence and positive feelings. So the minute they were able to reopen, they had a lot better success because the kids knew when they came back into the school, that was going to be one of the, we call it one of your top threes, you know, the top three places you spend all your time is at home for kids at school and then your martial arts facility. So you have to make sure that your team is constantly well-trained and and making this your school feel like a safe space so that that leads back into the science part of understanding the difference between authoritative based training and influence based training you know authoritative type of instructors are people who you know they believe in that bottom or that top down where kids need to be threatened coerced or punished to follow directions and it stimulates a lot of cortisol and you know for example i, I give the example of if a kid's not sitting still in class and you say listen damien if you don't sit still you're going to get 10 push-ups and all of a sudden cortisol, your, your body, your, your brain immediately, your hypothalamus releases cortisol and, it go, and adrenaline and it goes into a fight, flight or freeze um, mindset and that inhibits learning. And it, it doesn't stimulate feel, feel good uh, chemicals when it comes to sitting still. Where what we do is we do the opposite. We say, okay, let's see who can sit better. Damien or Johnny, when I say go, I'm gonna see who can sit better. Ready, set, go, boom. Whoa, Damien, look how great that was. Give me a high five. I love how you're sitting. Now you see how you're smiling. Now all of a sudden sitting still is associated with dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, all these really good feelings. So pre-pandemic, kids remember that. And then coming back, they know that they're going to go to that facility where it's a safe space where they're going to feel really good. So I know it doesn't provide a solution for those who haven't been doing that, but you can start now by when anybody who comes to your school studying the most positive teaching strategies that you can that focus on teaching with the brain in mind. So going back to that, if you're threatening, you're coercing, you're punishing children in class, you're going to stimulate that cortisol, which is really bad for learning. It builds that anxiety. It builds that lack of confidence. Your, your brain is always in a fight, flight, or free, free state of mind, which is what's happening during the pandemic, right? There's a lot of stress. Everybody's afraid to get sick. Everybody's wearing masks. Uh, parents are scared. Some parents have financial issues. You know, there's all these worries. So right now, you know, it's, it's the analogy of imagine you go in the forest and you see this bear. Immediately you get the chills, your body gets nervous, your brain goes, I mean, either fight this bear, freeze or run, but that's what's going on in your brain and it's scary. And that's, you know, it's great for your body to do that if there's a bear, because then you can run really fast, but children are experiencing this bear showing up in their house, showing up at their school, showing up everywhere. And it's metaphorical, but it's that they're always nervous and intimidated and scared of everything because they're limited in these positive experiences and parents don't always do this mindfully the ones who do are the ones who are having a lot of success and coaches and teachers don't do this mindfully either a lot of times because they're distracted with their own stress and worries so if you can be mindful and intentional knowing that I need this child to have feel good experiences by stimulating chemicals such as dopamine. Dopamine is the anticipation chemical, you know? So, uh, you know, like if you have a vacation coming up and every time you think about that vacation or right now, Halloween, right? You know, so here we're open. Last year, trick-or-treating was, was, was very, very risky and it was very limited to like your, your core circle. This year it's open. My son's, he's, he's six. He's going to be seven next week. So he's got Halloween and his birthday and Christmas. He's got dopamine galore, happy <laughs> chemicals. So his anxiety level was really low. So dopamine oxytocin, 
Very important is the hug chemical, the snuggle chemical. So parents need to hug their kids more, need to laugh with their kids more, need to do more nurturing things. Parents, teachers, coaches, coaches need to do more high fives, fist bumps, cheering them on. I'm coaching my son's flag football team, uh, by the way, right now, because last year's coach did was a cortisol coach. So I wanted to be that happy coach. By the way, we're undefeated. We're the only team undefeated in our league right now because I'm coaching with that intention. Uh, serotonin is a satisfaction chemical. So giving them constant goals that they can set and accomplish. And then endorphins is like the energy chemical, uh, laughing, dancing, exercising, all of these things. If you can work with a child with teaching with the chemicals in their brain and mind, this is where you're going to get great success getting not only getting kids back into your facility because they know when they come to your facility it feels great uh, but also getting other kids to come too because parents are saying listen my son johnny he's taking class right now on the mat martial arts it is the best thing in the world for him and i tell you what what a great way to help him recover from all the pandemic stress is when he goes to that school he's safe he's happy he loves it and i recommend you do that as well uh, so it's, it's not easy, but it has to be done with intent, and, but it works. For all the schools that I, I've been working with, and we, like I said, we have over 1,000 schools in 27 countries. Uh, one of the reasons why skills eat, thrived even during the pandemic was because we are constantly training our schools and training our teams how to focus on this, primarily over sidekicks, punches, and high blocks, and all that stuff. All that stuff can come, but it's got to start with them feeling good first. Love it. Because I think what a lot of people get caught up in is, and I'm talking like the old school kind of way of doing things, because like yourself, I come from a very old school background. Um, it, they want people to first and foremost be a good martial artist, but we're here to develop people overall, as opposed to just one very specific skill set. And this is why I love skills. Uh, and, and I appreciate talking to you is because you come at it from a completely different perspective, as I'm sure people can already hear from what you've just said is that you come at it from the mind and the whole as opposed to the physicality in the body. That's almost not quite but almost secondary to what you're trying to do. And I think there are a lot of instructors out there listening to this who um, would benefit from going from that more positive aspect in terms of creating the martial arts dojo as a third space to be. I love that. I hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, we're, we're doing all sorts of things to re-engage the children at the moment, and that's absolutely fabulous. So thank you for that. This whole pod's been worth it just for that tip. That's wonderful. Um, so I'm going to... Again, move on now to the next little bit. I've got a, a series of questions from the listeners. Now, what I figured we'd do, because some of these are relatively generic, um, but they're all very, very good, is we're going to do this as a quick fire round. So okay. I've got four. I've set them up for you. And then we're just going to go through it. And then we can get on to some more nerdy stuff as well. <laughs> so this first one's going to have a tiny bit of an introduction. This is from Chris Jones, who uh, said that I could use his name. And he's from Kickback with Chris Martial Arts Podcast. And he gave me a massive shout out. So I've got to repay him the favor. So Chris, if you're listening, massive thank you, sir. So question number one, uh, working with children can spring surprises when you least expect it. Do you recall any moments where a child has left you thinking, wow, with positive words of wisdom of their own? Because we know these youngsters can really come out with some awesome stuff. Yeah, you know, there's uh, running through my head on, on positive words of wisdom. There, there's one particular one. And it wasn't necessarily words of wisdom, but it was it was what sticks with kids 
more than what doesn't stick. And it was one of those full moon days. And if you don't believe that full moons make kids crazy, uh, you should buy a moon calendar and then and then watch what happens. Uh, it was last week or the week before with the full moon, uh, coached my flag football team. The kids were nuts. It was full moon, that's why. <laughs> um, anyway, the kids were nuts this day and the parents were looking at the kids in class. This was my five and six year old class and the parents felt bad for me. As a matter of fact, I believe one of the, one of the parents went in a store and bought me a bottle of wine because she's like, you're going to need it uh, tonight after this class. Um, so anyway, I was just, I was drowning in crazy and I brought all the kids in and I said, hey guys, come here. I was like, you see those parents over there? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, well, the way you guys are behaving right now, you're making me look really bad because you're not listening. Everybody's wiggling. So can you guys do me a favor for the rest of the class? Can you guys please make me look good by standing still paying attention? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So they jumped back in line. And then Hunter is one of Hunter Johnson, who's now older now, but he was like spinning in line and his arms were waving. And Abby taps him on the shoulder and goes, you're making Master Melody look bad. And it was one of those aha moments on, I just, I, instead of me, you know, trying to like threat coerce or punish or anything, it was, it, it just made me realize that that was what clicked with the kid is you're making me look bad. And, uh, and, and kids, you know, they want to make you look good. They want to have good discipline. All you have to do is explain it from, from the heart. So that was a great lesson that I learned from a five-year-old is, is that just being honest and saying, you guys are making me look bad and will you help me make, make me look good was like all that I needed. And I use it, I use it now in testings. I'm like, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to make you look good. Your job is to make your parents look good. And, uh, and they love it. And then all of a sudden their mindset is, I wanna make my parents look good. I wanna make Master Melody look good. And it works. It's a, it's a great uh, little wisdom tip that I learned from Abby when she was five. Oh, that's fantastic. And it kind of links in massively to um, things that I've learned from you with regards to young children is there are certain stages in their development where they're perfectly keyed in to want to make those that they look up to. So be it their martial arts instructor or their parents, their grandparents, they want to make them look good. And so using that in classes to positively affect them, we, we've done that from yourself massively. Um, but can you speak to that a little bit? So, because that yep. I was going to go into the other questions, but let's stay sure. here. I love this stuff. Um, this links directly into their stages of development. So, at what age is that kind of stage, and 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 how do we build around nurturing that kind of behavior? So, when, right when they when, when they get out of the, the preschool stage of development, which is around five or six years old, where they've developed about eighty percent of the vocabulary and they're starting to develop interpersonal relationships, right? And three and four year olds, they only have thirty to forty percent of the vocabulary, so their communication is not really on point. So they don't really get verbal communication or nonverbal communication from their peers or with adults. By the time they're five, they start to have this relationship. So they want to make you proud. So a perfect example, and I think you're, you're taking me up for the same story, if you've heard me say it in my instructor certification, was uh, one day where I told the kids, okay, everybody stand really strong like a dinosaur. And one of the kids raised their hand and said, dinosaur, I have a dinosaur coloring book at home. And then this other kid said, well, I have a dinosaur board game. And then one kid said, I have dinosaur underwear. And next thing you know, all the kids are talking about dinosaurs. It has nothing to do with martial arts. And I remember back in the 90s, if a kid would interrupt me with that same similar mindset, I would give the kid a push-ups for interrupting the class and but understanding the science and psychology behind when they're five and six years old they want to make you proud you're gonna get them to dis to interrupt you not because they're being disrespectful but because they're trying to make you proud by saying i know about dinosaurs at home too so what i says i love dinosaurs what's your favorite dinosaur 
My favorite dinosaur is a T-Rex. I have a T-Rex statue on my desk. True story, I still do. Who else likes the T-Rex? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody stand really strong like a T-Rex. And then moving on. And what happens is that kid who interrupted me, if I would have given him push-ups, stimulate cortisol, he, that's where the barrier between kids and adults starts to be established that you know we don't get along and they don't get me and I don't get them, right? But me saying, I love dinosaurs and getting them all like dinosaurs. Now all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, Mash Melody loves dinosaurs. This is the greatest day ever. It changes everything just in that one split decision and recognizing that, especially between the ages of five and six, they want to make you proud. So some of the behaviors that normally look like distracting or disruptive behaviors are actually a sign of them trying to connect with you and, 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 and make you proud, like I said, make you look good. Love it. I, I, it just reminded me. Um, I, yes, you're right. I had heard that story before, but it's lovely to hear anyhow. Um, I went and, and tested this because I was like, again, back in 2016, I heard this. I was like, does this really work? Because I was used to teach. I've been teaching kids since 2012 and I was teaching them in a slightly different way. So I went and we had a new member came in and they were wearing a Marvel t-shirt. And this was my ages uh, uh, four to six program. And uh, they were a new prospect. They came as, oh, Marvel t-shirt. I love it. And I kid you not, the following week, every child came in with a Marvel t-shirt underneath their regular uniform. And I was like, oh my goodness, the penny just dropped at that stage. It was fantastic. Yeah. It's, now, so I have, I have a quote that's coming out next week. It's, it's into the timing. But here's the quote. It's very important to have a favorite color, food, kid movie, dinosaur, superhero, and animal, just in case it comes up in a conversation. Love that. Where's that so, from? Is that from yourself? That's for me. That's for awesome. me. So favorite color, favorite food, favorite kid movie, favorite dinosaur, favorite superhero, favorite animal. So like little icebreakers that you need with new kids or connecting tips when kids are sad, you can sit down with them and, and, and change the subject. And what's your favorite color? Here's mine. What's your favorite food? And it works like a charm. Amazing. Thank you for that. Again, this is why we're going to breeze through these questions because this is the nerdy stuff. I'm, I'm loving it. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so next one, uh, question number two um, is with the ongoing situation with online and remote learning, what positives and negatives do you feel our younger students have gained from that experience? Well, you know, obviously the negative, we'll just start there is, is the lack of uh, interpersonal or, or, or person to person connection. But I, I think that there's also the ability to connect with them via, you know, our devices, which is the way of the future now, right? So a lot of people are to have remote jobs now. Uh, all of our, a lot of our seminars and so forth, where people normally had to travel, we're doing via Zoom. So there's a lot of upsides to that. So children getting that experience with e-learning, I think there's a lot of value and a lot of benefit to that. But I'm the kind of person who looks at every situation and says, this is life as we know it. So let's figure out a way to, to help with their growth and development in a positive and productive way. So my son last year, they did go back to school even during the pandemic in kindergarten, they had to wear masks, but he had one situation in his class where one kid tested positive for COVID. So he had e-learning for a week and watching the teacher, I just sat back there and I was like rocking back and forth going, if I was teaching right now, because all the kindergartners are sitting here on the computer, I would be like, okay, How's everybody doing today? Who's going to focus better, boys or girls? And of course, the girls would have been like, girls. And the boys were like, boys. Okay, now when I say go, let's see who can sit really still in their chair, you know, and doing all these things to stimulate those same 
positive feelings, even though it was remote, remote I, I think that that would have been very beneficial for, for school owners, uh, and which is what we did for all of our skills schools. We created actual virtual teaching skills that the instructors were able to apply. And I think that that was a really good experience from it. I think the other positive experience from it was the opportunity for us parents to connect with our children while during the lockdown. You know, uh, I'll never regret or I'll never look back and say, man, 2020 was an awful year. With the exception of the election that we had here in our country and the all of that. Say about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know, right? Um, but I, the fact that I, I, w I had seven tours I was supposed to do last year. I was supposed to go to Spain. I was supposed to go um, to Las Vegas, DC, New Orleans, you know, all over. And I would have been gone from my son a lot. And with the shutdown, I was able to spend all this quality time with him at five years old, which is a very important time. And uh, I hope that a lot of parents uh, saw that as a benefit and as an upside and were able to connect with the children and look back at those moments as, as precious moments. Wonderful. And just to, to echo that, um, my my son is three, my daughter is six. So they're, they're going to be obviously four and seven uh, in February next year. And you're absolutely right. My son and I in his first in his early years, we struggled to connect. Um, and with 2020, as as tragic as it was for a lot of people, because we were able to spend that time together, we were able to find more of a connection and our relationship is better than it's ever been. And I know that might sound silly because he's only three, but I think sometimes we forget, especially as children grow up, how important those early years are for connection. Um, so I think you're absolutely spot on there. Spending that time with, with our own children has been wonderful, especially when, like yourself, you'd be traveling all over the world yes. so much time yes. away and children, children are children are like um like your pets in some ways where they're very resilient if you're able to be positive about everything versus stressed out about everything so for the listeners if you're going to be going through another wave be mindful that they'll get out of this just fine if you are fine and it really starts with you as a parent as a teacher as a coach and how you're handling the situation mm. Very good point. Um, and fourth and final, before we go into the nerdy, nerdy stuff, um, if you could give one piece of advice to anybody who's about to teach their very first four to six year class, what <laughs> would it be and why? <laughs> it's been a while since I taught my first. Well, the, 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 it, to play. It's so three and four year olds. So five and six year olds build most of their confidence through making adults proud because they're, they're connecting three and four year olds build most of their confidence through play. So when you go out there, just they, they play with them. High fives too slow trickery. When I say go, everybody stand up on your marks and say goose, go for a go kart. Uh, asking them what their favorite dinosaur is, engaging them with them on that. Uh, when you do the drills, anticipate that uh, you're going to get kids who either don't listen, who run off the mat, mock each other, understanding their stage of development. So if, before you take your teacher first class, you really do want to dive into the stages of development, which we can do here in a second, to understand what to expect and what not to expect. So that, you know, if a kid falls down and all the other kids fall down, you know that that's part of, they're mocking each other, it's part of their stage of development. You're not going to get frustrated and say, I said, sit still. Instead, be playful with it and say, okay, oh, Johnny fell. Okay, let's all fall. Now let's all stand really strong. Now it's all fall again. You know, if you can play with them, and I know for traditional school instructors who who are so used to the disciplinary type, uh, it, I understand and I get it where you like that structure and that seriousness, but it's not realistic 
for the average child, especially the average child today, they need more of that play. They need more of that feel good, happy, fun feeling. Because the an instructor's role is to get the best out of their members and yes. their students and playing in that manner is going to want them to do well in that program, which is great because obviously back in the day, I mean, I started training 20 years ago, classes were very small and they were very tough. And yeah. we've seen a huge change in the industry since then. And I still think that the UK is a good 10 years behind America, um, which is why uh, I, I'm reaching out to, to people like yourself because we're doing better and we're always striving to do better, but there's a lot more that we can do. Cause if you take a look at the two countries, you guys are miles ahead of where we are, which is wonderful because it means that we have someone to learn from. <laughs> um, so let, let's stay there then uh, in terms of the stages of development, let's, let's stick with the, the young children. So typically in this country, we'll see uh, a mixture of three to six or four to six classes. So we've, we've cottoned onto the fact that they need to be separated, which is great. But I know from looking at your past material that there's even a huge gap between the three-year-old and the six-year-old that are often taught in the same class. So what would you, A, the best piece of advice, which I got a sneaky suspicion of what it might be, but also what are the most distinct differences between these age groups? Well, um, so really you have to understand them physically, intellectually, emotionally, and socially. So physically three-year-olds are just now developing gross motor skills. So they're just learning how to hop with both feet together without falling. And they still don't have that muscular development. Uh, you know, for example, if you ask a three-year-old to do arm circles, most of them are going to start circling from their elbows because their shoulder muscles aren't developed. Uh, even just having them sit still like this with their legs crossed, hands on their knees, within three to five seconds, you're going to start to see them slunch over. And then eventually they're going to be rolling on the ground. And a lot of people think it's a disciplinary uh, issue and it's not, it's their core muscles are not developed to the point where they can sit still for more than five seconds without their muscles getting tired. It would be like me having another person my size sitting on my shoulders after a few seconds, I would fall over. Uh, so understanding that difference between them and a six-year-old, because a six-year-old can do five crunches. A three-year-old cannot do one crunch right? Uh, a a six-year-old can do maybe two good push-ups. A three-year-old cannot do any, any push-ups. So understanding that physical stage of development is going to be extremely uh, different. As a matter of fact, a three-year-old can barely write their name and they can't write it within a controlled space. A, a six-year-old like my son can almost do cursive and, and stay in between the lines. So fine motor skill development, which, which means like when they punch, you know, you're going to see difference. So a three-year-old, when they hold their punch out, within three to five seconds, their arm's going to fall. Six-year-olds can hold it out for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, you know, especially if they're motivated. Three-year-olds going to rest their high block on their head because their arms are tired. So that's just the physical, right? So then intellectually, uh, three-year-olds only have, so let, let me explain it this way. So I took four years of Spanish in high school. But if I went to Mexico and had dinner with a Mexican family and they are talking in Spanish, I would not be able to keep up. I would hear, uh, and I'd be like, oh, the uh, black, black dog, dog, parents, dog, casa, house. I'd be like, the black dog went in the house. They're already on to the next conversation, right? A six year old is going to understand this. So, same thing, three year olds only had three years of, you know, in, in UK of, of English. So, for example, if you have like a bunch of three and six year olds sitting down and then you're like, okay, we're going to do some kicks. And you look at Johnny, you say, Johnny, stand up. You're going to demonstrate your Johnny. Come over here. You're going to demonstrate this kick. And then you see all these kids get up and follow. And you're like, no, dumb dumbs. I just, just Johnny. How come you can't pay attention? 
the, the three-year-old is like me with the dog in the casa is going, I heard come with me and I see Johnny move, so I guess I need to go, right? So the intellectual stage of development is, is not there either. So, and then of course you got your, your emotional and then your social stage of development where it's not like three-year-olds are able to express their feelings and communicate and six-year-olds can. So you're gonna find the three-year-olds and the four-year-olds if they're in the same class, really struggling to keep up and, and not just them, but you're gonna find the parents trying to compare the two. And, uh, and that's just a recipe for disaster unless you know what you're doing. So if you don't have it in your schedule to split them, which I highly recommend, what you wanna do is split them within class. So you wanna say, okay, raise your hand if you're three years old or four years old, you're gonna work right here. Five and six year olds, you're gonna come over here and then try to modify the drill according to their physical, intellectual, emotional and social stage of development. It is not easy to do, but it's easier to do that and keep them and keep them raving fans than it is to constantly just try to market and uh, you know have this uh, churn rate mostly from your younger kids because they can't keep up. And then the older kids, because they're losing interest because you got younger kids in class. You know, you're always going to have that factor unless you really dive into studying the stage of the development and then teaching according to their age, uh, which again, it, it, it's, it's not simple. It's easy to do once you know what you're doing, but it's not simple to go through the process of being an expert at it. But once you get there, then it's a, it's, it's a great, great experience. We also find that managing the parents' expectations will keep the children in because if the youngsters want to quit because, you know, for them, it might be uh, an entertainment thing. They're not entertained. They're not enjoying it. And all the parents are seeing is an instructor at the front of the class who's struggling to keep their three-year-old uh, calm and sat properly when the six-year-old is doing really, really well. And so they start comparing, as you mentioned. Yes. But you also, you go so far as to start to educate the parents as well, don't you? Now, yes. we do that a little bit. So when I'm addressing the children, I'll also address the parents to manage their expectations. So I'll say, OK, cool. Everybody sit in number 10, which is arms and legs crossed. And then I'll go to the parents and say, by the way, if you see them slouching a little bit, they're three years old. That's to be expected. So we'll educate the parents as we go. How do you go about educating the parents and managing their expectations? Well, yeah, exactly. So there's multiple ways that you can do it, right? And so you want to utilize every arsenal that you have. So you know, adding on to that. So for example, if you have a three-year-old who can sit still for more than five seconds, looking over at the parent and saying, mom, look at Johnny sitting still for more than five seconds. Listen, that's not part of a stage of development. His core muscle isn't really developed yet. So to see him sit still like that means that he's above his physical stage of development for his core muscles. So you see how I'm really getting detailed. Mm. Um, so use, utilizing that type of verbiage in class or look at Johnny, he's holding his punch out. He's not dropping it. Oh my gosh, what three and four year old can hold his arm out for 10 seconds like that? That's incredible. He's above his physical stage of development for his upper body muscles. So using that type of enthusiasm is great. It also starts with the initial contact. So every single student who goes through our skills program has to be pre-evaluated. So we have age-specific pre-evaluations for three and four, five and six, seven and nine, 10 to 14 year olds. They come in for their pre-evaluation, which is free. The instructor runs them through the eight skills and then scores them on a scale of one to five, four or five meaning it's above their stage of development. Three is where they should be. One or two means that they have a lot of room for growth in that particular area. So then after you run them through the pre-evaluation, sharing it with the parents, going over each one 
now all of a sudden you position yourself as a child development expert. Now you can help manage their expectations because they're seeing it firsthand that you know what you're doing. Uh, so pre-evaluations, using it constantly in class. And then of course, now that we have social media and email and so forth, sending out information and content on a regular basis, whether it's quotes, it's blogs. We have a parent skills program. That's eight different parent skills with blogs and quotes and at-home assessments and at-home tasks and so forth. So that's a great way to position yourself. And of course, you want to make sure that you're highly educated in it though. You can't just say, you know, I'm a child development expert without doing your, putting in the work, reading the books, uh, taking online courses. We just launched this new program called the Certified Pediatric Ninja Specialist Program last year. It's eight courses. Um, it's a whole year process. They go through neurotransmitter stages of development, parent skills, teaching skills, disabilities, theories of motivation, learning styles, you know, so anybody who goes through the CPNS program, I, we even have parents, teachers, and child psychologists who have looked at it and said, this is not, I didn't even get this in college. Uh, so it's, it's on point. So the more you invest in your own knowledge and education and your team's knowledge and education, uh, the smarter they're going to be, the more validated they're going to be when they give this feedback to parents. And then it gets to the point where you've established this reputation where your parents aren't going to question your knowledge. They're going to see it firsthand in what you're doing and they're hearing it uh, and they're experiencing it. And that's when you position yourself out of a, a martial arts school and out of competing with other martial arts schools and you start competing with ch child therapists. As a matter of fact, during the, the pandemic, we changed um, Skills brand from Skills Dynamic Martial Arts Training to Skills Personal Development Center or Skills Child Development Center if you're just doing children. And we had multiple schools that were able to reopen during the pandemic because they weren't a gym, fitness, or sports facility. They were a necessity because it's child development. We actually had a senator in Minnesota was the first one to do it with Tim Flynn. Uh, and so now that's what Skills is, is we're really trying to say, we're not competing with martial arts schools. We're not competing with soccer, football. We're competing with therapists, occupational therapists, uh, those type of people, because our our team is trained at that level and the results are at that level, but for a lot less money than therapy. I was, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, the amount of times I've gone to martial arts and felt so much better because I've been able <laughs> to do that there cost me an absolute fortune in therapy. And, and I think that's a really important note because a lot of us here in the UK, especially with the winter coming, um, there's already talk of up north of uh, councils um, advising, not yet making it a rule, but advising that schools close are after school clubs, which a lot of martial arts clubs are after school facilities. And obviously, a lot of us are still teaching from halls and gyms and all that sort of thing. So we fall squarely under that bracket of an extracurricular activity as opposed to something that is vital in the society. And I think that's where we need to position ourselves much better in the United Kingdom is like we still see ourselves largely as a club, even though a lot of us have gone full time, um, which is, you know, something that sorely needs to change. Now, fast forwarding in terms of development a little bit, something that I really wanted to touch on, because I think it's something that lots of us still struggle with. Um, because a lot of us have seen the benefits to these younger programs. And a lot of us now have moved away from not teaching children. I mean, back when I was first starting, I couldn't find a school that would teach you if you're under the age of 14. And I think that was largely because they didn't know how. Um, whereas almost everybody has children's clubs now. However, teen years, still a big struggle. Um, so it's kind of A, keeping them motivated, 
be trying to attract teens to something that might not seem cool or you know something that they want to do anymore so in terms of their cognition and what they're going through their development what are the best ways that we can look at to keep teens motivated and re-motivate them as well well again it goes back to understanding their stage of development right so intellectually uh, the when you become a preteen is when your adolescent brain is starting to grow and shape into an adult brain so when that happens you have where the area of the brain that that needs growth needs energy right and what happens in the brain is that it sucks energy from certain parts of the brain and then enhances energy in other parts of the brain that help that area grow and then it goes to the next part and so forth and it starts at the back of the brain which is where your hippocampus is so preteens and teens their hippocampus has all this energy now going back there and that part of the brain is responsible for knowledge and intellect you know the algebra the chemistry the geometry all the you know the the amazing facts that's why they have this global franchise called are you smarter than a fifth grader because there's like all this information that they're really enhancing that's how they're becoming an adult but the downfall to that is that all the energy is being sucked from the prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain, which is all your executive decision making, your common sense is coming from. So parents are looking at their kids and going, why did you eat that Tide Pod and put it on Snapchat? <laughs> and talking to you like a bonehead, right? And because they make a lot of bonehead choices like that. And then they're looking at you going, do my homework. And yeah. they're right. Can yeah. you do their homework? No chance. Probably, <laughs> probably not, right? So having a ridiculous amount of respect for their intellectual capabilities as far as remembering facts and so forth, but also understanding that their executive functioning is not there. So when they make bonehead choices, I'm like, look, I get it. You know, I, I know you're highly smart. You made a bad choice. You know, your adolescent brain is growing into an adult brain. This is where, you know, I learned mostly from my wrong things. I got kicked out. I, I got almost expelled from school by spraying pepper spray in the cafeteria when I was 16 because my parents gave me a car and on the keychain was the pepper spray. And I was like, hey, look at this. And I cleared the cafeteria and sent two people to the hospital and I was getting expelled. That's how I got my job at Disney. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Because they were hiring and I was in the office getting expelled and you know, I ended up talking to my, the manager into a job. Anyway, bonehead choices. And so respecting their intellectual stage of development, their physical stage of development. So their body is also transitioning from an adolescent body to an adult body. So there's hormones like crazy. They, uh, one doctor said that a preteen's body is going through as if you were taking a fitness class for four to six hours per day a nonstop fitness class. So they're physically exhausted. So that's why when you're like, Johnny, take out the laundry or, or go take out the garbage and he's on the couch and he's slow to get up and he's moaning and groaning. And you're like, dude, I just taught five martial arts back-to-back -back classes and you can't take out the freaking garbage. What's wrong with you, man? Right? It's, it is physically, they're physically exhausted. Uh, now let's get into this emotional stage of development because their hormones are all over the place and, and they're accelerating their growth, they are highly emotional and highly sensitive to any type of stimulation, both good and also bad. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of times they'll just shut down and shelter because they can't handle anything more, even good experiences. I was working in a parent group this morning with a mom who said, nothing will motivate my 15-year-old daughter. I try to offer her to buy her stuff, take her shopping, and there are just some days she doesn't want to do anything. And I explained to her that she's shut down. She's emotionally exhausted. Her willpower is exhausted for the day. Her bucket is empty. So she doesn't even want to do anything that makes her feel good because she just doesn't want to feel 
anything more because she's felt to her maximum capacity for the day. And just understanding that will help you approach her with a more compassionate and empathetic mindset of you're probably emotionally drained for the day. You probably, the last thing you want to do is anything fun, anything at all. You just want your brain to shut down. So let me know if you want me to light some candles, turn on some music, make you some tea. You guys have tea over there, you know, whatever to help you just emotionally reset and recharge. Getting that and understanding that goes a long way. And then of course there's social stages development. Not only are they are they going through this physical, intellectual, and emotional changes, but also their body's changing and their, their, their feelings are changing towards other people. So the social part of their stage of development is even the worst part because they're, you know, they're, they're gossiping about each other, they're falling in love with other people, and they're over, all over this emotional and social roller coaster. So having knowledge in all of these areas, it, it, it opens you up to approaching them very differently when they come into the class. And we have a very successful team program here on the mat. One of the reasons why is because when they walk in, they feel safe. They feel understood. They know that we get them. They come in. We're not like, take off your shoes, get ready to exercise. We're not propagandizing them. Like, you guys ready to have fun today? That's for the younger kids. We're like, how you doing today? How was your day? Let's get on the mat. Let's start working out. Let's simulate those endorphins and get that body moving is exactly what you need to kind of help self-regulate yourself you know and just you know even instead of saying okay we need to we need to work uh on our form for 15 minutes guys saying okay here's what we're gonna do we're working on our forms for 15 minutes and you get to pick how you want to do your form for the first five minutes you can do it with weights you can do it slow motion you can do it backwards you can do it progressive you pick now all of a sudden they're choosing how they want to do it so they're more intrinsically motivated and then five minutes by okay now now pick a different way do your form backwards and slow motions with weights to progressive great Five minutes goes by, you want to pick another one. And what that does is engaging them in choices and helps them empower them to put in the effort. And then what happens is while they're doing their form, they're stimulating endorphins. They're stimulating this dopamine because they can't, I can't wait to do my form backwards next. They're stimulating the serotonin because they're satisfied that they just did their form for that long. Uh, the endorphins of, I said endorphins again, the oxytocin of, of you going, oh, wow, you did your form backwards. That was really good. That's just, it's hard to do, right? It's not easy. Give me high fives. Now, all of a sudden, all these chemicals in their brain are starting to override all the hormones and the cortisol and everything that's happened prior to them coming to your class. And that sets up the perfect formula for them going, I can't wait to come back. This is my safe space. This is my number three, right? Absolutely fantastic. Because, yeah, we've, we've got many teams and trying to keep them motivated has been a struggle. And we're doing a good job, but we can always do better. And that is absolute gold. So I really appreciate it. Now, I am very uh, conscious of your time. You've been incredibly generous with it already. So I do have uh, one final question. Um, obviously with things like lockdowns and pandemics and all that kind of easing and coming to an end, uh, you are a massive live music and golf fan. So how much time have you finally managed to get out there and get back on the green and get into live musics? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so once a week, uh, golfing and geez, live music just in the past month, uh, I've seen Chris Stapleton, Zach Brown band. We went to Austin for the Austin city limits festival this past weekend. We had reggae rise up, uh, with dirty heads and, uh, Damien, uh, Stephen Marley. We went to the pig gig and saw Darius Rucker, um, and Judah and the lion. Uh, we have Erica Badu on Friday. Then we have the next big with 21 pilots and AJR. So yeah, we are live 
live music, I mean, I mean that's our soul. Uh, so we, we go out, anytime there's a concert here, we're there. And we even when we travel, that's what we do is we would try to go find live music. Because again, I'm all about the chemicals in my brain and feeling good. So quite often to answer your, answer your question, although a little, a lot, of, a lot right now. I think I've reached my limit for a little bit, so I don't mind teetering back, but at least once or twice a month. Absolutely. <laughs> I like music. Awesome. Love it. No, Melody Johnson, thank you so much for your time. You're it welcome. has been an absolute pleasure. And just to, to very quickly say that there are a lot of questions uh, that were sent to us from our listeners with regards to ASD and mm. neurodivergency in children, and we've decided to save those for another time. Yes. Um, I'm not going to commit you to it but you might be able to bring someone on who is he's, your he's expert in that yeah he's 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 on it so uh clayton maxi who is my uh he started with me when he was eight he's a partner now at on the mat martial arts yes yeah he's also he co-coaches my son's flag football team uh with me uh he wrote our program called spectrum skills it was part of his mastership project he had to do a dissertation on it and it would do him a disservice for me to try to answer your questions when he's the one again Working on my business, I was able to, as this particular area became a highly demanded area, which obviously we know from, from the questions that you have, instead of me having to put in the work, he was working in the school with children uh, on the spectrum. So he actually created the entire program and he's the expert at it. So he's going to have more passion, more knowledge, more experience. So we'll get him on the podcast to answer all those questions for you guys. I wasn't even going to drop a minute, but I appreciate that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Appreciate it. That was a good time. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that was the wonderful Melody Johnson. Wasn't she an absolute delight and incredibly generous with her time? Um, And I think the interview wasn't so painful because, again, I tried desperately not to fanboy. Sorry, Master Melody. Um, But after the interview, uh, she did, in fact, put me in contact with uh, Clayton Maxey. And Clayton has very kindly agreed to come onto the pod and talk all things child development with regards to non um, to non neurodivergent uh, children or children with uh, educational needs or additional needs, which is wonderful. Um, I didn't expect that at all. So massive thank you to to Melody and to Clayton. And just a bit of a heads up, I noticed that Clayton's going to start his own podcast that specifically looks at the topic that he is an expert in. So if you want to learn a bit more about that side of things, watch out for his podcast. I don't know if they've done an episode yet. Last I saw, they were just uh, kind of announcing the fact that it was happening. It's going to be him and one other individual that he works with. So that will be really cool to look forward to. Now, in the future, obviously, other than Clayton, we've got some really cool people coming up. We've recorded uh, the interview with Mitmaster himself, Matthew Chapman. That's going to be really cool. And then we've got uh, another individual coming up, a gentleman called Tim Bainham, uh, who many of you may or may not have heard about. Uh, He's one of those that just kind of gets his head down and, and cracks on with things. But he's doing some amazing things uh, in the ladies only kickboxing arena. Uh, absolutely phenomenal over there. So I've asked him to come along and he's like, uh, yeah, okay, cool. So we're going to sort something out with that. And again, we've got a few other people uh, coming on. Uh, we've got, uh, I'm not going to announce them all. You just have to watch this space. But yes, again, a massive thank you to uh, Melody Johnson and a uh, huge thanks for uh, hooking us up with Clayton Maxey. Really looking forward to that one. Now, other than that, that's it for me today. I'm not going to, 
force you to listen to any more of my uh, slowly failing voice. But a massive thanks to everyone out there. It's been a wonderful reception from the martial arts industry uh, because, again, you know, there are a lot of people out there who just like to dunk on what other martial artists are doing. And for that, I say I have no time. So, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. And until next time, see you soon. (laughs) 